Oh, hey, Jamie, didn't you like Masters of the Universe growing up? Totally. Oh, man, I loved all the bright costumes, the cool, charismatic villains. Oh, and my favorite character, Battle Cat. Okay, I've got some bad news for you. Uh-oh. Hello, satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the movie podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my co-host and co-adventurer. It's Chelsea Hollowell here, a master in training, we'll say. I don't know what that means, but... Those are words that came out of my mouth. <laughs> are you a master of a universe? Yeah, because if we're talking about a multiverse, I'll be master of a universe. That's fair. I think mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, the universe is very presumptive. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, our third co-host, Jack, is um, out with the plague this week. We hope that... Um, the leeches that we sent him are doing their trick, and that his humors get matched right. Um, you know, balanced, everything balanced. Yeah, matched right, balanced. It's, it means the same thing. Uh -huh. It's a regional dialect. It's an Eternian phrase. <laughs> I don't remember. Anyways, Jack has got the plague. We've sent him some leeches. Hopefully they'll do the job. That's the important takeaway. Yeah, and something I wanted to say now in episode 18... After we haven't established it even earlier up to this point, Jamie and I are a married couple. We are? <laughs> and we've been together for 20 years. This is true. And uh, Jack, our other co-host, is uh, our younger brother. My younger brother to be specific, but he grew up, we've been together so long that he grew up with you basically in the family, so... Well, and he's also so young that, like, he's basically his entire life. Because when I met him, he was about the size of, like, a bread box, maybe? Yeah, that's about <laughs> accurate, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> he hasn't known any difference. <laughs> yeah, as far as he knows, I have always been and always will be. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, All right, well, this week, wow, what a treat, <laughs> question mark. Yeah. We watched 1987's Masters of the Universe, directed by Gary Goddard and starring Dolph Lundgren, Frank Langello, uh, Courtney Cox, Robert Duncan McNeil... Chelsea Field, etc., etc. There's a guy named. For a second, I thought you were going to say I was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you? You were Tila, right? Chelsea. I, I saw. I saw the name Chelsea on the screen. Yeah, I, I went back in time. I have a time uh, portal, by the way. I just never told you about it. Oh man, that's messed up. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite like name of anybody who's been in a like an actor who's been in one of our movies is John Cipher. Who is Man at Arms? I mean, that's an awesome last name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And we've got a Swords and Satire alum, Billy Barty, right. who, who was in Willow. Yeah, the, he was the uh, wizened old magician from the Nelwyn village, right? Yep. And in this movie, he plays Gwildor, not that different of a character. It's true. Instead of a magician, he's an inventor. I mean, isn't technology just another form of magic or isn't magic just the name that we give to technology we don't understand yeah, yeah. or phenomenon yeah that makes sense well um oh and we shouldn't uh forget to mention meg foster who plays the brilliantly named evil lynn one of the most compelling 
characters in the movie. But that, we can get to that That's later. true. I mean, yeah. I, I, I agree. But yes, let's... Maybe we should have a, a quick summary so that yeah. listeners know what happened in this and, wonderful film. Yes, thank you. And it will be a quick summary because this is an 80s movie from 1987. <laughs> and so not much happened. Storytelling was much more streamlined, straightforward. There might be only one or two... Uh, plot lines you might be following whereas today you may have as many as like seven or eight i mean i guess i mean i'm sure there was movies back then just we don't tend to cover the ones that have a lot of plots well it's it's kind of like a a progression that you can study of storytelling methods and uh storytelling methods have gotten much more complex than they used to be maybe not for the better not always (laughs) okay so your quick summary here he-Man, the end. <laughs> or Muscles, the end. So, uh, in the land of Eternia, on a planet somewhere out in the gal I don't even know if it's in our galaxy. In a galaxy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, well, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about that more later in rewriting history. <laughs> it's not on Earth. I know that much. No. We have um, a revolution taking place. Revolution, you say? Like a class struggle? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, you know what? This movie got it out of and, the way right and away. And opposing conquering forces led by Skullface the Conqueror, also known as Skeletor. Does his face look like a Skeletor? <laughs> and by a Skeletor, I obviously mean a skull. I grew up watching Masters of the Universe, so I often call skulls Skeletors. Oh, nice. <laughs> So he is an invade. He's leading an invading force to take over Castle Grayskull, which is some kind of seat of power in their world, and it's protected by a sorceress that gives power to people who control her. Okay, sounding like Masters of the Universe that I knew and grew up with so far. Really? Oh, good. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a sorceress and Castle Grayskull. Okay. I mean, yeah, of course. So. I thought He-Man was leading a resistance, but I think he was leading people as a, a way to defend Castle Grayskull against Skeletor's invading force. It's really not clear and, what they're doing. No. So, basically, Skeletor beats them, He-Man goes into hiding, they meet up with um, Greldor of Fenor. Grildor. Grildor. No, sorry. Gwildor. What? <laughs> yeah, it's... It's a G W I L D O R because that's the name. Oh my god, I did not get that. Uh, nobody was saying his name very clearly at all. Okay, Gwildor of Fenor. He was a locksmith, keymaster, and um, a general inventor. Okay, so he leads them back to his little uh, cave home. He is a little person. And not a human in the um, conceit of this story. Kind of um, like classic, maybe second edition D&D gnome, I'd say. Yeah, he was a lot like a gnome. Bushy, you know, the big bushy beard, an inventor. I mean, yeah, shades of second edition D&D gnomes, for sure. So he made a cosmic key that where he could play musical notes and create a portal to another world. So... They escape through this portal to escape Skeletor's clutches because he's obsessed with He-Man. And he wants to totally dominate him um, before <clears throat> the next day when the moon would be full and he, the tr- power of Castle Grayskull would be transferred over to him. They talk about the power much the way that Star Wars talks about the Force. Yes, it's very nebulous. And there's been a lot of comparisons that, you know, I mean, this movie was trying to be Star Wars. Mm. So, the other world that they escaped to is... Strange, far away, and unknowable world. Earth. Exactly. (laughs) So, they immediately lose the key. And they're unable to get their way back. I'm not really sure why they went to Earth. It's very unclear. Oh, no, you know what? They do say so in the movie. They said that Gwildor just, like, pounded a bunch of random buttons on the key, and they opened the portal and just jumped through. Oh, so they weren't trying to go to Earth. They were just trying to escape from Skeletor. Yeah. It's one of those, like, blink and you'll miss it, or 
you know, joke about the movie and you'll miss it moments, but I just <laughs> yeah. happened to pick it up. Okay. Uh, so they spend the bulk of the movie trying to find the key so they can get back to Skeletor to defeat him. Yes, back to before Eternia. Eternia. Uh, before he can, like, truly claim the power of Great Castle Grayskull. Or I guess to Snake Mountain. And there's a completely useless, useless side plot <laughs> with characters named uh, Julie and Kevin. Played by Courtney Cox and uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah. Courtney Cox, who you probably know from the television program Friends, and uh, McNeil, who you probably know from the television program Star Trek Voyager. Yes. So it's a small town in the Midwest somewhere in the winter where they end up. So um, we get to know way more about Julie and Kevin than we ever wanted to know. Way more. And uh, they end up kind of like getting in the way and having to be saved by uh, He-Man and his uh, pals that come with him, Tila, uh, a warrior woman. And... Uh, her father, Man-at-Arms. Yes, her father, Man-at-Arms. <laughs> and He has uh, another name and then he corrects somebody and is like, no, just call me Man-at-Arms. That's much less clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to save Julie and Kevin all the time because Skeletor s figures out which world they went to because he has his own cosmic key and he sends henchmen after them to retrieve the key. Well, and, and because to... Kevin keeps hitting the buttons and like turning it on. And they can um, kind of zero in on their location because of that. Yeah, because Kevin believes that the cosmic key, this bizarre round device with, like, twirling antennae, is a Japanese synthesizer, like a musical yeah, synthesizer. Yeah, I'm not... I was trying to figure out if that was racist or not. It was um, certainly stupid, although, I mean, the thing didn't make, like, music, I guess. Yeah. So, um, they eventually figure out where the key is, they get the key back, they have an epic battle... On Earth, because Skeletor and his uh, general, uh, Evil Lynn, come through with a small army to try to capture them and the extra key. So I didn't pay much attention to this uh, fight. Uh, I was focused on feeding our cat Loki during this fight. So it was like <laughs> one of the... It, it, you'd think it would be the climactic moment, but it was actually one of the most boring parts of the film. And then, um, more on that later. And... Then they all make it back uh, to Eternia with their separate keys. He-Man's taken prisoner by Skeletor's goons. and um, He sacrifices himself to save his friends. That's right. He agrees to go back with Skeletor um, to save his friends. And they figure out, they make their own new cosmic key with Kevin's help. So he ended up being kind of helpful. You forgot about Detective Lubbock. The well, we could talk New York cop. I didn't. In the I was Midwest. trying to make this less convoluted. So <laughs> we'll talk more about him in the next section. And I'm trying to reconvolute it. You're doing a great job. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they basically let's wrap this up. They go back to Eternia. They free He-Man. Skeletor somehow does get the power of Castle Grayskull, but. So does He-Man, so He-Man is still able to defeat Skeletor, and there are some interesting philosophy that they bandy back and forth that we can talk about in a bit. And, um, yeah, then He-Man just yeets Skeletor off of a ledge, and they he, just he kind He palpatines of, him. Yeah, and, uh, they just kind of all celebrate and they get like a coronation ceremony and they're just like yeah we get to be living happily ever after and then kevin and julie are sent back to earth by gwildor and they're sent back to before her parents were killed apparently her parents were killed before the movie i don't and know and it was her fault she yeah. blames herself julie blames herself for her parents death because she like, didn't go on a vacation with them? But I'm like, well, doesn't that mean that if you had gone, then you would have died too? Yeah, it was very confusing. So, uh, yeah, they all got a happily ever after question mark. Even and Skeletor! Yeah, because at, after the credits, you find out that he actually did live, so he might come back to fight another day. Damn um, you, He-Man! <laughs> 
So there's your summary. And a great summary it was. That means it's time for our now newly retitled segment that used to be called The Bulk. But that wasn't a very good name. So now we'll be going on The Delve. Where we venture into the deep crevices of the themes and scenes and making of and critiques of this movie. Nice. So I want to kick off this delve with a very important question for Chelsea. Okay. As Loki knocks over things. So since you didn't really grow up with He-Man, based on this movie, what do you think He-Man is about? He-Man or Masters of the Universe. Yeah, what do you think? Well, the show is called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Okay. I think it's about... uh, sorceress who has a lot of power and she likes to like determine who she gives that power to and and she's chosen he-man as her champion Mm. and um he so he's protecting the castle and there's a bunch of people who want to get that power uh primarily skeletor and he has a lot of henchmen that also are trying to get at that power although he's pretty selfish about it and, uh, <laughs> it's not not totally wrong. Okay. So maybe this movie wasn't that far off as it seemed. Oh, it was. <laughs> because they never come to Earth as far as I know. I mean, it, it may be... Yeah. It's not a... They, they don't... It's not on Earth. Not set on Earth. Um, He-Man is also Prince Adam. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. He's the son of, like, the king and queen of Eternia. And then, like... He only becomes He-Man when he, like, wields his sword and holds it over his head and says, I have the power! Mm. And, yeah, like, there's not, like, an Earth subplot. He's not, like, a freedom fighter, necessarily, which they kind of seem to make him into, like, this tactical freedom fighter in the movie. He's, like, a prince. I mean, he's the nobility in the show, and... Well, they tried to make him seem like he was tactical, but in one scene when... He's. (laughs) He's. <laughs> they all rush into a house and they think they're gonna come up upon the henchman, <laughs> and he yells at everybody else to fan out, and they all just clump up behind him. Yeah, there's a lot of shots in this movie that are just like every character in frame, awkwardly doing things. Like I would yeah. say that the most common shots in this movie are gratuitous shots of Dolph Lundgren's hot bod. Yeah, and then like. These clustered, framed shots of all the main characters kind of, like, doing a thing. Like, when they're removing the collar from Kevin. And, like, everyone is, like, kneeling in front of him or, like, laying off to the side. And, like, Man-at-Arms is awkwardly reaching around his head so that the audience can see what he's doing to the collar. Yeah. Like, the, the framing is really weird in this. Yeah. It was pretty awkward the whole time. Yeah. So, um, I have some questions for you because, uh, this movie left me pretty confused. Fair. Um, so, is there ever anything about a cosmic key in the original show? I don't think so. I mean, like I said, they don't, they're not like, they're not like jumping to other, I mean, I think sometimes maybe they go to different worlds and stuff, but like, it's not as, I think that that's really like them trying to hit the Star Wars like mm. why do fan you think base. it's like similar how do you think it's similar to Star Wars yeah well just like trying to like kind of make it be obsessed with I think they really leaned into the universe part of the Masters of the Universe and the title okay <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like it just it doesn't feel like I haven't watched He-Man in a long time I mean here and there but like nothing from this really stood out to me as being reminiscent of the show yeah like okay. they're, the He Man's personality, like he, like He Man as Prince Adam is a pretty nice guy, and like he's pretty concerned about his people and everything. Uh, I don't, you don't really get that from from Dolph. Like the show itself is usually tends to avoid overly dark themes or like it's not it's not gritty in any way. Like it's a kids show and it 
like very much feels like a kid's show in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, obviously, like the villain is Skeletor, and he's got like a Snake Man henchman and like the Beast Man henchman and everything. But yeah, it's it's a lot like it's campier in a more fun way, I guess. Right. Damn, he just goes whole hog and full on disintegrates that Snake Man later in the. Oh movie. yeah, yeah, Skeletor. Yeah, when he's mad, he he is not good with his employees. Yeah. He is not going to uh, earn any Boss of the Year awards. <laughs> and like there, and then there's the line when, at the very beginning, when Evil Inn says, the power is ours, and Skeletor goes, no, the power is mine. Like, he is not into any yeah. kind of uh, flat hierarchy of power or anything. He she is, gives him some serious stink eye after he says that. She seems hurt. Yeah. Actually, like, Meg Foster as, as Evil Inn, really, like, probably one of the standout actors in this. Yeah, it seems like she has feelings for Skeletor. Yeah, and Skeletor uh, only has feelings for He-Man, so she feels hurt. Yeah, there's one scene where she's just, like, leaning in front of Skeletor, like, near his lap, and she has her arms wrapped around him. It's very intimate, and he's, and he like... he has his arms around her shoulders, I think. Isn't he, like, brushing her face, too? Yeah. Or, like, playing with her face with his yeah, hands? It's yeah, Very uncomfortable. And, like, sometimes when Skeletor is torturing people... He is for sure, like, doing full-on orgasm, like, O-face. <laughs> in this movie or in the show? Um, well, in the movie, but the show has, some would say, um, heavy homoerotic overtones. Okay, yeah. Um, I've seen memes about that before. Yeah, like, it's a lot of big, beefy guys kind of, like, grappling in awkward ways and there's kind of this yeah like obsession that Skeletor has with He-Man that could be associated with like a jilted lover or like I don't know like again like I think that this is just I don't necessarily believe that this was intended by the creators of like the show the movie I I feel like Langella certainly like must have known that some of the things he was doing implied like a, a sexuality to them I don't know right. but then again he wanted to play this part because his son loved He-Man so oh that's sweet yeah that part was kind of nice yeah. he was super into this uh, Dolph Lundgren said apparently that this is like one of his least favorite roles he's ever done oh, wow. but Frank Langella said that it's one of the best he's ever done and I mean that translates through in the movie right yeah like, Skeletor... He actually puts a lot into the role. Yeah, Skeletor looks like he's having fun. Yeah. So, uh, I've got another question for you. All right. What the fuck is a Chromon? Or a fucking Cronar? Or a Preton? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a Parsec. <laughs> Dude, they were saying all these words for... Uh, I think they Just were measurements. Like units of time. I think it's units of time, units of distance and measurement, and, and like... They were just making shit up all over They the even place. said Parsec at some point. Like, this is this is all they Star Wars, man. They said Parsecion. Yeah, there we go. This they is, were measuring distance by Parsecion. They must have really thought that, like, Men in Arms is going to be their Han Solo type or something. I don't know how. I don't either. <laughs> but yeah, they just make up a bunch of, like, nonsense words. I do not believe that that has anything to do with... Uh, the cartoon or anything. Okay. Not, and we, you know, obviously we should be talking about this movie as its own text, but it's hard not to draw comparisons. Yeah, because it is directly related to the show. No, I think that's just a bunch of nonsense Mm -hmm. words that they made up. Or maybe I just don't understand science. I was, like, confused because Gwildor at one point says, I'll have this done in three shakes of a preton. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, maybe that's like, uh, maybe that's an animal from Eternia. Maybe. Like, three shakes of a lamb's tail? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it was so silly. The script is just nonsense most of the time. Okay. I mean, I... cosmic keys. And, yeah. But, you know, I mean, when you think about it, like, a lot of the recent, or, like, you know, the, like, the, the Marvel and the DC movies kind of... Um, have a lot of this kind of stuff, right? Like cosmic keys and cosmic cubes that's and true. tesseracts and. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's fair, and it is a DC movie technically. Ooh, well, more on that later. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. So I sure. so so Masters of the Universe is a DC um, 
property. I don't know if it was at the time that they made this movie. Maybe Probably it was. Not. But I mean it was certainly evoking a comic bookness. How? Um, I was reading on Wikipedia how this has been compared to like the New God series of comics from DC and like how they were like probably inspired by the storylines from Jack Kirby and stuff. Okay. So I mean I, I think that the writers were were borrowing a lot of like stuff from comics that were big at the time. Oh, well that's good to know. I was totally lost. That's because it's a very confusing film. And they also throw in a bunch of unnecessary subplots with Julie and Kevin. I know. I didn't care about any of that. It was like they tried to put two different movies together and then just fucking smash them in there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one approach to filmmaking. Okay, I've got another question for you. Uh-oh. Why isn't She-Ra in the movie? I wish She-Ra had been in the movie. I don't know if they had, like, connected those universes the same way yet. Oh. Okay. I, I was actually it's confused. Possible. I, so, you know, I, I saw Gwildor and I was like, oh, he's, like, the only one who really reminds me of, like, the same character from the comic. Yeah. And then I found out that they added Gwildor, I'm sorry, from the show, then I found out that they added Gwildor to the show after this movie came out. Oh, wow. But he's, like, the only one who looks like the character in the show. Like, he's the only one who's kind of colorful and vibrant, yeah. and he's got, like, a similar personality, like... You showed me pictures of the characters, and, like, they look nothing like the other guys. No, I mean, I guess Man in Arms has, like, a helmet and a bodysuit, but, like, the one in the comics is... Or, I keep saying comics. There's comics and there's cartoons, and, and they share a lot more of the aesthetic. Um, he, you know, they put Man in Arms and Tila in these generic gray jumpsuits. They give Tila this weird butt floss going on for no reason. Why does Tila have butt floss? I have no idea. <laughs> to accentuate her butt? Question yeah, mark. Which wasn't even there. <laughs> Damn! Shot fired. <laughs> shot fired from one Chelsea to another. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they just put them in, like, these weird gray jumpsuits, and then Look, I guess He-Man technically looks like He-Man, but he doesn't really have any of the personality. Yeah, I mean, they bothered to make these really strange, like, land ships, almost like floating tanks, and they couldn't fucking put a little bit of effort into Man-at-Arms or Tila's costumes. Yeah, at first I thought... They just fucking went to a military surplus store and bought them some shit. <laughs> I don't think it's from a military surplus store. His his outfit really looked like it. Weren't they like just gray bodysuits? I don't think military does no, a lot of bodysuits. He had like a, a vest, a military style vest. Oh, okay. And, like, a regular helmet and goggles. Like, I feel like they couldn't decide what level of ridiculousness they wanted to go for. Because, like, when we first meet He-Man, he's wearing a loincloth and a cape. It's like, okay, cool, this is going to be He-Man. And then suddenly, like, Man-at-Arms and Tila show up in their gray, like, space suits. I don't know. And then we've got the Stormtroopers... Like, the black-clad stormtroopers. Yeah, what was up with those? They had the exact helmet of Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, again, they were trying to make this in the Star Wars. Yeah, and they were all black. Yeah, because, you know, stormtroopers are, are white, so we gotta, we gotta be unique and different. <laughs> we'll be like the iconic villain from Star Wars. Yeah, they were all basically more mobile Darth Vader outfits. <laughs> yeah, I love how you brought up the point, like, why do they even bother wearing armor? Because it doesn't seem to stop any of the laser blasts or anything. I know. He-Man can just slice through them with his sword and blast them, and the armor does nothing. Yeah, they'd be way better off without it. They'd be way more mobile. If anything, He-Man is the only one who's wearing a appropriate costume. Because, I mean, if if every weapon can just fire through your armor, you might as well wear less so that you don't have anything chafing or binding up. Yeah, he's more mobile that way. Yeah, and he's got a better the stealth better score. Able to, yeah, the better able to swing his sword. Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't catch that. Um... Let's see. So one of the things that I liked about um, the the script is how they keep just talking about how Earth is this savage, barbaric place because of, like, I mean, I, there's a part of the because beginning they that eat meat. Yeah, like Tila says because uh, 
humans, I guess, or earthlings eat meat. That means we're barbaric, which I'm like, that's an arguable point. But Man-at-Arms gives her the meat, and he's her father, but she doesn't know she's a vegetarian? Or, like, he's not a vegetarian? Like, I wasn't very clear how they, as father and daughter, don't have a sense of each other's, like, food prohibitions and stuff. Yeah, and, like, she doesn't know what an animal skeleton would even look like. Yeah, that's right. She's shocked that uh, the meat has bones. In it, yeah. And Man at Arms knows because I guess he's like talks about how he was like serving in the military and like had to live off of like no food or really like scavenged food and stuff. So, but it sounds like eating meat is not a common thing in Eternia. But yeah. if that's the case, then how does He Man sub- uh, sustain that body? I know. Like, he is just like pure protein. Yeah. Maybe it's whey protein. He sneaks a little bit more in his shakes every day. Oh, man. He must be sneaking, like, a gallon of protein into every shake. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Dolph's body is just insane in this movie. I know. It, it's huge. It's ridiculous. So this was his first, like, starring role after oh. uh, Rocky Four. Oh, wow. Crazy. Doesn't he have multiple degrees? Yes. So Dolph Lundgren is, like, a bioengineer. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, or or something like that. I, yeah. He's a, a, a he's got like multiple advanced I think PhDs or something. Like yeah. the dude is super brilliant. That's crazy. And I mean I like I don't he really plays these like lunkhead characters. Well, I mean like I feel like they're trying to make He Man seem smart by having him be like tactical, but it doesn't nobody ever play well. To yeah, him. nobody listens to his tactical advice. <laughs> Like, he does, like, the whole move, move, move thing, but, Although, like, nobody honestly, really does it. Although, honestly, it kind of tracks, because if you're smart, people don't want to listen to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, maybe maybe this is a very intentional thing. <laughs> We're probably giving him too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. So, I think we should probably talk about some of the themes that we noticed in the movie. I agree. I know you're chomp- champing at the bit to talk about Skeletor's uh, monologues and... Uh, on we. <laughs> That's true. I thought that was pretty compelling and interesting. And we get that all like almost at the very end of the movie. And um, it's when they go back to Eternia and they're have like right before and like during the battle that he and He-Man have after they're both like infused with the power of Castle Grayskull. And um, this kind of ties into the theme of loneliness and isolation. Not themes that you expect from a lot of fantasy films. Yeah. Maybe this is part of like why it also has this weird romance subplot with Julie and Kevin. Maybe they were really trying to match... Maybe they really were trying to match up genres in an interesting way. Maybe. So those themes are associated with being like a member of an elite class or a person of power in this movie. And Skeletor has a lot of power. Yeah. And at one point uh, when he and He-Man are squaring off, Skeletor asks him, is the loneliness of good equal to the loneliness of evil? Man, that was a good line. Yeah. I did like that. I like the morality of that. I think he, what he's saying is that if you are kind of true evil aligned or good aligned that there's so much gray so so much gray morality out there in the world like it's equally isolating to be pure evil or pure good wow so you think that skeletor like acknowledges that he's evil I mean, okay obviously he does right he yeah. acknowledges that he's evil he 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 views he-man as his polar opposite in good and, and that he but he accepts that the world itself is a gray more gray morality yeah that's fascinating it, that's how I interpreted it. And, I like that. Um, he also sees He-Man as like his one true equal and rival. Yeah, when he gets the power, he kind of like makes a big show of saying like, "Now, not even you are my equal." Yeah, but, but he is. But even then, so wait. Before he gets the power, there is the part where Skeletor is very despondent and seems disappointed when He-Man gives up and gives himself over to. Skeletor to save his friends. Yeah, he's dis- Skeletor is disappointed in He-Man. Yeah. He wanted more from him. He wanted an epic battle, and which he gets later. Yeah. So, um... 
Much like one might be disappointed in a loved one. Yeah, it's almost like he loves He Man, loves to hate He Man. <laughs> I think I think he does love to hate him. I I totally agree. I don't think he ever really wants to kill He Man. He he always wants to take him prisoner because he even though they're rivals and um he has this need to like dominate He Man. It still seemed to me like um. Because of his intense loneliness and feelings of rejection, which he is very open about, um, it's almost like his victory is, is completely meaningless without the acknowledgement of his rival, because they're equals. I can totally see that. Yeah, because even when um, he has the power before He-Man gets in, he's telling him, like you said, like, not even you can match me now. Yeah. Like, not even you are my equal anymore. He's gloating, um, but, like, maybe almost in a sad way. he still doesn't tell him to take He-Man away. He has to have He-Man witness this. Right. And it doesn't seem like it'll be real for him unless He-Man kneels. He keeps telling him to kneel and to acknowledge that he's lost, and He-Man won't do it, and it's a sticking point. Like, he can't enjoy his <laughs> newfound power unless his rival... His former equal acknowledges his defeat. So maybe he's not he, sure about... Maybe he, he's saying, he's blustering and saying, I'm better than you now. But maybe Skeletor doesn't necessarily believe that. Yeah, and um, he just seems like he really needs validation through He-Man's acknowledgement. <laughs> They're almost like brothers in a way. Huh. It's really fascinating. It was like one of the most interesting parts of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally see that, actually. That's a good point. Yeah, and something related to this, uh, It's kind of, this is also kind of related to the other theme of like this quest for power. And um, something that the sorceress says to Skeletor right before he claims the power. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, I'll give you a quote here. Men who crave power look back over the mistakes of their lives, pile them all together, and call it destiny. Uh, I like that line a lot. Damn. I thought that was really good. Yeah, the sorcerer really shits on Skeletor with that one in a way that I don't even know if he appreciates how like sick of a burn that was. He's he like didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's like too egotistical, and he's just like, oh, whatever. You just like don't believe, but like it's kind of an indictment of like. A lot of fantasy tropes that yeah. are about destiny and like yeah, and she and like seeking power for power's sake. Yeah, I mean it harkens back to like ancient Greek tragedy, right? Like if you like hear a prophecy, like the the downfall is that you bring it upon yourself. Like if you're if you know if you're right. uh, self you know, fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, and um, she her point was that. There's a string of failures that can lead you along the way. Like, even if you think you've won, oh, like, it's at the expense of other people. And it's tied in with the idea of loneliness, and that's why she calls it mistakes. It's like failures, because you're just isolating yourself in this blind pursuit for power. You're isolating yourself from any potential community or social interaction yeah i mean what if meaningful Skelet social interaction what if skeletor offered to like have a, a nice like co-leadership with he-man they could you know be like two idea makers who who can find a balance with thought each leaders. other yeah two thought leaders <laughs> and you know i mean the point about uh people um dooming themselves is also true if you pay close attention to the end of the movie because skeletor kind of throws himself off the cliff like, he's attacking He-Man uh, he next yeah. to a pit, and he, like, steps... Like, he's not standing next to the pit. He steps next to the pit, and that's when He-Man trips him into the pit. He could have just stabbed He-Man from a safe distance away from the pit. Well, this could this makes me think of something that I learned about in, like, taking psychology courses and stuff, that people will um, kind of, like, they'll try to be obvious about something without realizing they're doing it. They'll subconsciously leave something out in plain sight, or they'll, like, say something, or they will leave evidence out because some guilty part of them wants to get caught for something they've done. So you're saying that Skeletor wanted to die? Maybe. Because that, he knew he was evil. Then why is he laughing at the end when he's when he's still alive? Is this his second chance? Does he maybe maybe he was found redemption falling down this 
<laughs> deep pit. Maybe he's laughing because he's so happy that he'll get another chance to go toe-to-toe with He-Man. I don't know. Yeah, could be. I see it. Because he actually loves He-Man. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think that we've kind of firmly established that. Yeah. He is getting off on watching He-Man get whipped. Yeah. But, like, he knows that He-Man can take it. In right. a way, right? Like, yeah. he's kind of, like, goading him by being like, oh, I'm disappointed in you. But what he's really saying is, I know that you can handle this, and yeah. I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's that. I don't think it's a healthy relationship, though. No. It seems abusive. Speaking of which, another, like, thing that I think comes up a lot in this movie is kind of disbelief and illusion. Okay. Like, I mean, it, especially, like, with the character of Lubbock, like, he... Who's that? Uh, the detective, oh. who we haven't really talked about. Yeah. But, like, he's having this weird relationship with, like, Kevin, where he's like, Oh, you were doing this thing to help your girlfriend, huh? Well, why don't we, why don't we just go see your girlfriend? It's like, uh, okay, like, are you trying to help me, or are you trying to hinder me in some way? Like, he doesn't believe any of this stuff, and, like, he sees some crazy crap, like... The army and everything that that Skeletor brings, and then yeah. he tries to tell the other police officers, and they don't believe him. So he feels like the need to prove, like he's he feels like he's got something to prove, and then like he's just making a big deal about this this big show of like wanting to have people believe him. Yeah. And then there's like another scene with Eva Lynn where she transforms into Julie's mother and says that. They didn't actually die in the plane crash, and Julie believes it. She falls for the deception, so yeah. much so that she goes and grabs the cosmic key that she knows is super important, and just hands it over, because this random, like, person showed up looking like her mom and saying that what you believe wasn't actually true. So was Evil Lynn a sorceress also? Well, she's a magic user of some kind. Oh, okay. She's not... The sorceress. No. But she is a sorceress. <laughs> yeah. Um, we haven't talked much about Evil Lynn. No, and that's a shame because she's one of the more compelling characters. She has piercing blue eyes. She does seem to be in love with Skeletor. Yeah, and she's always just having to watch as he's giving all of his attention to He-Man. That's got to be tough. Yeah. And you really uh, feel for Evil Lynn. She in this. wants to share power with Skeletor. Yeah, we, or, you know, the us that she says. Now we have the power. Yeah. And then he rejects that, and she looks really hurt. Yeah, she does. And um, she still goes out and works for him, though. Well, she still, like, wants to please him to get yeah. his attention, right? Like, maybe in her mind, she's thinking, what can I do to make myself as valuable to him as He-Man seems to be? And, you yeah. know, the sad reality is... With a guy like Skeletor, he's just never going to open up to her. Yeah, I know. He only cares about power and proving to He-Man that he's better than him. Yeah, he can't see the, you know, the great person he's got right there in front of him. Yeah. In Evil Lynn. Somebody who cares about him, clearly. That was a very sensual moment like you were describing. Yeah, that was, I was shocked by that. Well, I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the uh, inherent class struggle going on between the Eternians and Skeletor's army. Oh, boy. And, like, the deep fascist imagery of, like, these stormtroopers and, like, Skeletor, like, riding in on this, like, kind of parade float, like a very military yeah. parade type thing. Tell it to um, me straight, Jamie. Oh, I'll, I'll tell it to you all right. <laughs> I, like, the the idea that He-Man is leading this, like, plucky band of resistance fighters, although also Star Wars, which, by the yeah. way, is a deeply political film. If you didn't know that, I, I hate to burst anybody's bubble who thinks yeah. that it's just fun um, laser fights in space. Wars are always political, right? Yeah. Yeah, just the way that he's like, you know, Skeletor is like marching in or like being led in with this conquering army. Yeah. He, you know, he wants absolute power. He, he won't stop until he's crushed this resistance, but he also wants to make a show of uh, this one person, the only person that he views as an equal. He needs to have recognition from, from that person. Yeah. But, you know, we've talked a lot about that but up to this point. So, um, But I, I guess I'll leave it at that. Like, the, the there's a, a very clear sense of 
fighting back against unjust power. Right. All right, well, on that note, I guess it's time to rate this movie. Um, This is the part of the show where each of us gives one epic moment from the film and then rates it on a scale of 1 to 10 power swords. All right. So... Oh, an epic moment of the... Or feature. An epic feature of the film that I'll give is um, the portal, the effects for the portal between the two Oh, man. That was actually kind of cool because, like, the matter around the portal warped around it. It was kind of like a black hole. And when they were shooting the laser swords, the light was getting bent around it. It was pretty cool. It was kind of similar to the way things react around a black hole. There was a few good visuals in this, yeah. I mean, they're, they're borrowing from a cartoon. It should have been a very visual movie. Yeah, so that part was pretty neat. Um, the whole story was pretty convoluted, and like I don't feel like they really understood the source material very well. Like Maybe some of the actors did, but the director and the writers, I don't feel like they were you know, going in a very good direction, so... I'll give this one a 4 out of 10 power swords. Probably a fair rating. Yeah. How about you, Jamie? How about me, Jamie? I think my epic feature of this movie is just how much fun Frank Langella was clearly having. And then, like, finding out that he wanted to do it for his kid and everything. Like, I I think that's great. I think that's very heartwarming. It's such a bizarre role to have that for and to be like, oh, my son really likes this cartoon. I'm going to play this character with these weird, like, kind of sexualized expressions and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very odd choice, but I, I guess I respect it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to agree. I think four swords out of ten. It's... Not a very engaging movie, in my opinion, and it doesn't it doesn't lean in enough to its quirkiness, in my opinion. Like, I would have liked them to have gone more full bore with the crazy, and definitely not set it on Earth. I feel like that's just a complete detraction, and it, it takes all the air out of its sails. Yeah, it makes it confusing. Yeah. So, average of four, not a great score. No. Wah-wah. Yep. <laughs> but that's okay, because now it's time to head to the bounty board. Oh boy. So Chelsea, what bounty do you have for us today? So I would like to put a shout out out there about my jewelry line that I make. I make all handmade jewelry here in California. and um, It's awesome. <laughs> California and your jewelry. Yeah. So I like to focus on gemstones and pearls and cool charms and stuff like that. I make earrings, bracelets, and necklaces. And um, I like to focus also on some one-of-a-kind things so that people can be sure they're getting something unique. And I also focus on creating a story for each of my pieces about the stone, where the stones come from, their metaphysical properties, maybe their history. Also, the any history uh, associated with any symbols I use and uh, their cultural significance and uh, create a a narrative about each piece so that also makes it unique. And so uh, my line is called Spirit in the Stone and uh, you can find it on Etsy. Awesome. Yeah. How would you say that your love of fantasy movies has influenced your jewelry making? It has to do with like the way I conceptualize a piece. I often think of it, a lot of them could be used for elf or fairy cosplay <laughs> nice or something like that um, so do you ever imagine like how awesome a pen would look dangling between Dolph Lundgren's massive pectoral muscles and then like design around that yeah exactly <laughs> um, I think that's our only bounty for today okay so I guess it's time to rewrite history okay here we go so here's the thing If Masters of the Universe is a DC Comics 
property. Right. That means that this movie could be viewed as a connection to the DC Extended Universe. Oh, boy. And even though I know it just got a very low rating, it might be one of the best movies in the DCEU. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. There's Wonder Woman. That was pretty And cool. Aquaman. Eh, yeah. I mean, it was fun. I, Aquaman's a lot more fun than this movie. Yeah. So what was your idea uh, surrounding that? Oh, I mean, that was the bulk of it. <laughs> Just, you know, oh. have have Henry Cavill show up as Superman and, oh. uh, you know, maybe, like, so throw in some... talking about a reboot. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Like a, like a movie where we, where we introduce Masters of the Universe into the current uh, slew of DC movies. That could give it a shot in the arm, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's the shot that the DCEU really needs after some real stinkers. Yeah. And you know what? The perfect place to do it is the 1984 Wonder Woman, right? The 80s. Right. Get the He-Man connection going on. Now, you said you didn't like them coming to Earth. Damn it. You're right. You're so right. <laughs> I have just shot my idea right in the foot. But maybe... Okay, maybe I'm okay with doing it on Earth again if we make this connection. Right, right, right. So, like, the other characters are the heroes, the superheroes. Yeah, and then, like, okay, so the DC characters now, like, in the new movies, are mostly wearing, like, the more colorful, kind of, uh, comic booky style outfits. Right. So we can bring back the interesting, like, Beast Man and, like, Man-at-Arms with his, like, green jumpsuit and, like, kind of a more vibrant He-Man and stuff. Right. Let me get, like, John you... Cena to play He-Man? <laughs> That would be great. He could just hide from Skeletor. Can't see me. <laughs> I got. I see. What, I see what you're doing. Um. But uh. Yeah. I guess they would be helping him defeat Skeletor's armies. It would almost be like the MCU's like Infinity War. Yeah. Oh. See. Exactly. Now we get a much more interesting thing. Skeletor becomes like the Thanos of this new timeline. Yeah, yeah. Except he's a because more he's got the power. Yeah, and he's a more compelling character because he actually cares about He Man. It's kind of interesting. Oh, I mean, I know Thanos is a very popular villain, but yeah, shots fired at all the people who love. I uh, don't Thanos. care for him. Oh, but he's a big purple daddy. <laughs> he's an abusive idiot. Well, who thinks he's intelligent? <laughs> I mean, I can see why Those that villain... Those are really dangerous people, and they portrayed that pretty well. I was going to say, like, maybe that makes Thanos a more compelling villain. <laughs> yeah, or more believable. compelling, believable works. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, imagine Skeletor teamed up with, like, the Joker and, you know, some of the other great DC villains that I'm just having a total brain uh, fart on right now. Yeah. I... Calendar Man? What? <laughs> <laughs> Clayface? <laughs> Bane? Right, yeah, there you go. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Batman villains better than the other like characters villains, that's for sure. Yeah, I was I've never really been a big DC fan. <laughs> it will, will shine through in this. Too bad Jack's not here, he'd probably be able to throw a bunch of Green Lantern villains at Oh us. yeah, he's a Green Lantern fan. Or he's a fan of, like, the whole Lantern lore, at least. Yeah, I don't know if he actually likes Green Lanterns that much. I think Jack's more of a Blue Lantern type of guy. The Hope. Yes, right. Yeah. Which is the only reason I know that, is because of Jack (laughs) and his Blue Lantern ring. Yeah, he always, he wears that every day. (laughs) (laughs) Which is nice. Um, yeah, so... It would be cool if he, if Skeletor uh, teamed up with some villains, yeah. Yeah, I think Joker's a good one. Yeah. Somebody who's like, you know, we've got like the different flavors of megalomaniacs. Mm-hmm. And Joker is more of like an unhinged, chaotic person. Yeah, whereas I think Skeletor's probably more lawful evil. Right. So like they have to find their balance. Nice. And would would the Joker even acknowledge Skeletor's authority? Oh, no way. Of course not. He just wants to see the world burn. So maybe he would pretend to go along with Skeletor's plans just because it would thwart the heroes. Yeah, I mean, we could have a great scene where, like, Joker gets the power at the end. Like, even betrays Skeletor, oh and then Skeletor goes back to his roots because in the... 
comic backstory, Skeletor is a good guy before he gets Skeletorized. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like a dual-wielding sword fighter slash magic user who's a total hero. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I had no idea. I know. His backstory is so much more compelling in, like, the comics and stuff. Oh, wow. So, you know, we could have this moment. He's kind of like a tragic figure. Yeah, he's a fallen hero. That's sad. I know, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Poor buddy. (laughs) I mean, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Skeletor. Yeah. And I have more than two He-Man shirts. I think probably (laughs) minimum at least three. Do you have, I have the flower? (laughs) No, I don't. Uh, I definitely have a Skeletor shirt that says Bad to the Bone. Oh, nice. And I have the He-Man Eternia Gym tank top. (laughs) (laughs) And I just have a shirt with Castle Grayskull on it. Because you gotta have a shirt with Castle Grayskull on it. Nice. Cool. Well, I think we've got some kind of weird Frankenstein creature yeah, going on here. Yeah, we've got the groundwork going. We can we can throw in like it's aqu- a skeleton for a movie. <laughs> a skeletor for a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think like Aquaman ties in pretty nicely. Like him and uh, him and He Man can be like the bro characters, right? Like they've got something yeah. in common. They're both kind of broy. They're you know going back to um, like the the source material with He Man being a prince. Him and Aquaman are both royalty. Like, they might yeah. have a little... They could be the budding heads yeah. that are, like, both... They're both good, but, like, you know, different flavors of good. So you have that mirrored in the good characters and the evil characters. Yeah, see? And uh, so they kind of have their own rivalry going on in their own camps. Like, it kind of carries on the theme of... Um, like the loneliness of good and evil and Oh nice. Wow. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it should definitely like we should lean heavy on that. That's an idea that I don't think gets explored very much in or at all in the show, which again is kind of light and never really that heavy or edgy. Yeah. I think exploring this idea about good and evil being lonely in a world of gray actually is very timely too. Yeah. And how it's isolating. Yeah. No, I think we've got a good Skeletor for this. We better we better call up some producers and directors and start pitching this. Well, we might be able to call up Ryan Johnson. <laughs> I hope we can. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that we've got that in the bag, I think it's time for the side quests. Where we talk about some other fantasy media that we are currently engaged with. And that we'd like to recommend to our listeners. Yeah. And with a the fantasy theme? Yeah. Because this is all about fantasy. Well, I did just recently finish all the Dresden Files as much as there are right now. So I highly recommend those books because um, you learn more about the world as Harry does. Or as like some of his sidekicks do. And um, he kind of, he really develops a lot as a person. And... um, he he becomes much more nuanced over time and i love his relationship to all of his friends uh there's a great dynamic there and he he's a fuck up and it's great to it's kind of cathartic to see him screwing up and then (laughs) being able to resolve it with his the help of his friends relatable content yeah so i think it it's it's really interesting. I love the noir detective who's a magician uh, crossover, like urban fantasy. But I highly recommend those books. Um, very enjoyable. I, I sped through them. <laughs> I read a lot slower than Chelsea, but I've also been slowly uh, working my way through them. How about you? I've been playing The Witcher 3, like everybody else apparently, because... Everyone's in love with The Witcher because it's an awesome TV show. It's amazing. And it's igniting people's interest in the short story, or I'm sorry, in the books and the video games. And uh, The Witcher 3 is a great game. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you already know that. But if you don't already know that, uh, check it out. Give it a play. Geralt's a really fun protagonist, and uh, Roach might be my favorite character in anything ever. I don't know I why. Roach. I just love that horse so much. 
There's a camaraderie there. But I know that uh, like extreme Witcher fans out there are probably aware of like parts in the story where he kind of denies um, caring that much about Roach. And also the idea that Roach might not be the same horse throughout um, right. all the series. But I, I won't get into that. The Witcher 3 is really fun. Um, I'm about 20 hours into it now. Really enjoying it. This is the first time I've played a Witcher game. Uh, I actually started playing it before the show came out, but uh, had to kind of uh, get back into it um, after starting to watch the show. Nice. And yeah, the combat's really fun and satisfying. Uh, the dialogue is pretty compelling and well-written, well-voice-acted for the most part, even when it's over-the-top and ridiculous. I love having a combination of sword fighting, magic use, and crossbow shooting during fighting. But yeah, so that that would be my suggestion. Nice. Great suggestion. Thanks. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we can wrap up here. We can close this chapter. Yeah. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. So you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram to... (laughs) see some dank memes and find out what we watched that week so um yeah like and subscribe let us know uh what you think about all this in the podcast hey people can shoot us an email right if they have questions or comments yeah how do they do that they can send an email to swords and satire at gmail.com you can also tie a message to a, a carrier pigeon uh just say Tell, whisper into its ear, swords and satire, and it will land in our bowery. Nice. (laughs) Well then, until next time, Hail Hail Crom. Crom!